Welcome to Chatterbox, a podcast by the Wolfpack Project. We are Nottingham's leading youth mental health and loneliness charity, releasing content on the first of every month. Please follow and subscribe on your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. So welcome to this episode of Chatterbox. I'm joined by the lovely Sarah Wright, who amongst many things that she does in her life has been a professional tennis player and also works for Total Jobs, doing recruitment and looking after people um, kind of through that whole process. And so today we're going to chat through the Chatterbox that we always do, questions around Nottingham that I'm just going to fire at Sarah. We're going to uncover a bit more of her tennis background and her current job and what that looks like and being a woman in a senior position in a very male-dominated environment. And then also how Sarah unpacks the five ways to wellbeing in her life. So hopefully we're going to cover a lot of really positive ground for you all today. So Sarah, we're starting off with the chatterbox. Yes, go for it. quick fire. Quick fire, random questions that have kind of been collated from the team that are all centred around Nottingham. And we're going to start off with, you've got a drink with you. So we're starting off in that vein. Where would you go for a nice cup of coffee or tea in the city? So I only drink decaf. I drink a lot of tea and coffee, but it's all decaf. The closest to our office when I'm working in Nottingham is Bird's Bakery. Nothing more East Midlands than a Bird's Bakery. (laughs) And we have a big debate in the office whether it's a Greg's Sausage Roll or a Bird's Bakery Sausage Roll. Mm. And it's a very split opinion. But if if it's coffee, always a flat flat white decaf. I don't really mind whether it's Starbucks. When you're decaffeinated, it's not... Yeah, it's not quite the same. They all sort of taste the same. Flat white decaf from, from birds, um, but I'll always go for the Greg's sausage roll, and as they happen <laughs> to be next to each other, it's very easy. It, it's an easy choice. Easy choice. One from one place, one from the other. <laughs> Sounds great. And um, where is your favourite green space? Could be city, could be county. We've got your yeah, yeah. Picks. So um, I love the outdoors. The more I can be outdoors, the better. I got a dog a couple of years ago. Um, when we went into lockdown and I, I live on my own. So um, it was a pretty lonely time for a while. Mm. And um, my dog, Betty, she's the size of a cat. <laughs> she, I think, is a cat. Doesn't, doesn't, <laughs> she, you know, she doesn't pick up things. She doesn't fetch things. But she does love a walk. And um, I recently moved out to Watton. Mm. So there's lots of green spaces Very out there. Great, yeah. And some beautiful fields. Um, but for me, Attenborough Nature Reserve, I will go to again and again and again. There's so much. Every time you go, there's something else that you yeah. have seen that you haven't seen before. Great cafe, lots of little gifts, wildlife, flowers, and it's quiet. Over lockdown. Well, yeah, it was very busy <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think when you work, particularly in a, a large commercial organisation, and there's lots of people, it can be busy all of the time. And I one of the things that I loved about lockdown was the ability to have flexible working. We could work from home, very much moving forward into a culture that allows people that work-life balance mm. far more than we ever did before. The downside is I can be sat on a Teams meeting looking at a screen for eight, nine hours a day. Which is just not good for your eyes and your health. I know, yeah. <laughs> the glasses are now on constantly rather than before occasionally. Um, so the opportunity to step away from your desk and we've got, you know, whether you're outside of the city or not, that time for you to have 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And when I didn't have the dog, I would sit at my desk at 7am in the kitchen 
till 5 or 6 p.m. and didn't move. And I was like, I'm doing like 20 steps a day. (laughs) And now the importance of that. And even I think I didn't realise how important being outside and Mm. seeing um, wildlife, seeing flowers, seeing other people, particularly when you lived on your own when we went into lockdown, was in in physical person just to say hello to as you're walking is is a thing I think we probably took for granted before. And we probably move back a bit. You notice a big difference in a city like Nottingham where, you know, you genuinely say hello to people when you walk down the street. And that's a really cool thing. Because yeah. that's not always the same when you go outside of um, into some of the larger cities. Yeah, that's definitely the joke of a northerner going to London. Yeah, yeah. And being like, why is no one <laughs> saying hi to me? Yeah, yeah. And I very much have that because I... I'm, even though I don't sound like it, I am a northerner from heart and from birth. And say it is a very like different. It is very different. Just we know oh, there's so many people that aren't talking to me. Yeah, yeah. Can you remember your first memory of Nottingham? I moved to Nottingham when I was two. Our older brother's six years older, and um, from Bristol originally, and we moved up to Nottingham. So my first memory was probably a tennis club. If I'm <laughs> honest, my we used to play at Woodfork Tennis Club, so not far from here, just off. Uh, Albemarle Road and that was where we spent every evening and my brother played my dad did some coaching um, and I was just the the little kid that went along to to watch the session with a tennis racket and a ball smacking against the wall but that club and it's still there and it's a a great club has really brought community together Mm. and it felt like a community you know everybody knew everybody you know I've still got lifelong friends that I used to play with at that tennis club, then you might not see for two years, yeah. and then you see each other, and it's, you you remember being on the on the top court with the lady called Peggy, who's uh, I don't probably think with us anymore, but you know, she was probably seventy or eighty at the time, throwing lots of balls, lots of kids, and everyone just running around and having a great time, <laughs> and that's probably a memory that you just don't forget. Yeah. It's it, where you you first fall in love with something that you end up spending the rest of your life doing in some yeah. capacity and those clubs those communities whatever it whatever it's sport is for whatever activity whatever hobby they're the first step that anybody will take to find a passion in something that they they love arts crafts pottery whatever it might be mm. and that first time you go yeah this is cool i want to do this again probably up the road uh, with the intense club For people who may have never heard of the name Sarah Wright. Well, everybody, I would have thought, yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Where have you been living? Um, Sarah used to and still does, is heavily involved with tennis and the Tennis Association, as well as her work alongside Total Jobs. And you may not know it, but has played alongside some very big names in tennis and has kind of grown up with those people. So we're going to start with your tennis journey and kind of segue into the work that you do now. So you've mentioned already about kind of that first memory being at a tennis club. Was tennis something that captured you straight away or was it a, you learned to love it as a sport? I think it was always going to be part of what we did. My, you know, my, my dad coached, my brother played, my nan, who was a huge influence on my life, played. You know, and, and it, it was a sport at the time that wasn't easy to get into. We've made it better now, but we need to make it far more accessible for all because it can be quite expensive, yeah. you know, to play tennis. So I think the fact that you've got a family and a, a network around you that's already doing that 
makes it an easy segue into this is yeah. what we do three <laughs> nights a week. And I just happened to be pretty good at it from a, a really young age. You know, there was short tennis at the time, you know, sponge balls with just these horrible, really heavy plastic rackets. And you just sort of thought this doesn't really go together with somebody that's three foot. But there was lots of people playing. And at the time, lots of girls playing. Mm. And there weren't many sports back then that had a real equal representation of girls and boys yeah. competing on the same court, the same squads with the, with the same sessions. And was, I was really fortunate that that gave me brilliant opportunity to play against different types of people. As with too many sports, girls drop off at a dramatic age of uh, 15, 16. And, and I'm probably in that category slightly later, but, but probably in that. Mm. But when you've got more people around you and the more those squads can be really equitable diverse different backgrounds it brings you all together in a different light that is less competitive because you're not all there buying for one spot for one person so to start that off is a really nice a nice way I was really fortunate that I had a fantastic coach who was the county coach at the time Alistair Heim still very good friends and he shaped me to allow me to be individual on a tennis court and not play the same as everybody else. You know, I was I had a single-handed backhand, everybody else had a double-handed backhand, I preferred slice, I liked coming to the net. My hero was Pat Cash and Martina Navratilova because I just loved the way they played. <laughs> and it was different. Yeah. And I don't want to be the same as everybody else. You know, I wanted to find my path, my way, probably stubborn and at times <laughs> didn't get it right and you look back and think okay I've made some different choices and this and the other but that's life it's what you yeah. do with them and you move forward not always as pragmatic and easy as that at the time but what nine-year-old gets to go away and play a sport yeah. that they love abroad you know with just brilliant coaches and, and backing behind them and you learn far far quicker the more exposure that you can get to those things mm. so I'll forever be grateful for those opportunities not that they just gave me in tennis but I have absolutely took forward yeah. to what I do day to day and you're allowed to experiment as well and absolutely. be like okay you're just not doing you. the same backhand as everybody else that's fine let's roll with it yeah. and see what comes of it it's great to have had that support as well that isn't always the case you know I was I was really fortunate I didn't have the same dedication as those people that were trying to make it at that point I was Unless I could be the best, I didn't want to do it. Probably six months later, I made the decision to stop playing tennis. For, for a number of years, I regretted that. And mm. I still do at times, you know, Wimbledon on the telly, and I think, oh, God, what if, you know? Yeah. And you see people, but but equally, I love what I do now, and I've, I make a difference in a different way. But that was a really difficult transition. And, and that's on me, 90% of that is on me. You know, you have to commit and dedicate to be a professional athlete through the good times, the bad times, the injuries. Yeah. You know, it's a tough gig. And I I didn't have enough of that within me at that time to do that. That's quite difficult to deal with sometimes. Yeah. Although I think the other side of it is it doesn't have to be a now or never. We, we have to allow people to go out and explore and experiment and come back and, mm. and be welcomed. And I think, you know, there isn't just one shot. You know, people go, this is your one chance. There really isn't just one chance. Yeah. If you make it, it's so ingrained that this is your time. And if you don't, then you, you get, you know, you won't get funded or you won't get support here. Or, you know, that's your, your one chance of a BGT audition. Like, mm. you can still, like, 
make music and be really happy yeah. whether or not you get through or not you know yeah. get a golden buzzer or a red buzzer one of the things that I learned was I thought I only had one chance and I probably didn't mm. so I didn't go back and that wasn't the right way to enable athletes at whatever sport they're doing to find the path at the right time that works for them it shouldn't be around what works for the sport it should be what works for the, for the athlete for me accessibility of, mm. of sport and coaches and psychologists and physios and, and all of this you go from having a lot of that to none it's really difficult to, yeah. to then see that path when you've gone a different direction so I, I 90% of it wholeheartedly was on my resilience attitude as a person to really knuckle down and go yeah right we're going to do this yeah. there's probably 10% that would have gone it's all right you don't have to go right now if you're not ready yeah and I wasn't ready it's too mature I didn't get the opportunity to try again um and which is why I, I, I do so much coaching now and I just love seeing kids just you know I've, I've spent this week as a girl I taught who's just played at the, at the Nottingham Open teach somebody from 13 to 16 and then you go and see them play Hannah Watson on a professional stage and it's a cool feeling yeah you're proud of that to a nine-year-old I teach who just messaged me yesterday and told me she's going to represent Great Britain in France in July and that's Amazing. the biggest thing it's like she's so excited I've got this announcement to make she said it's not about teaching or coaching it's about enabling how did you you made that decision of like okay I feel like yeah. I've missed my, my shot I'm going on a different path how did you then navigate this kind of new path into something that's a bit more standard nine to five and that's what I wanted nine to five I just wanted normality. You didn't have that. You know, you ate at certain times, you had certain diet, you, you, your training schedule was mapped out for you. You know, you had very little control over mm. what that looked like. And I can remember saying to my mum and dad, I'm going to get a proper job. I yeah. want to be in an office, have a desk and work nine to five because that's what my perception was everybody else did. What do you not need experience for? Sales, right? You just need to be able to talk. We work with a number of clients to connect job seekers to jobs. There's something special about that. We don't speak to candidates directly, but you see the impact of that mm. with people's LinkedIn posts or when they then suddenly ring up because they're going to book an advert on their behalf and go, I got this job through Total Jobs and it's a really great job and yeah. it's the right company for me. I'm incredibly proud to work there. You know, we're an organisation that really absolutely has a commercial we're a business you yeah. know we're there to make profit at the, at the you know first and foremost that is the, the reason that businesses succeed and survive and continue to invest but we also do a huge amount of thought leadership mm. around mental health in the workplace dni and the importance of making sure that recruitment practices are equitable and that everybody has the same opportunity to get a job for them and we have a number of tools and um and products to support equitable recruitment processes because that's the right thing to do. It's a subject that's really close to my heart. I do a lot for our DNI within our organisation. I chair our employee resource groups, and that for me is just as rewarding mm. as a sale that hits a target that pays a bonus that gives you a commission. You know that allows you to go and enjoy life. To see 
a workplace have a sense of belonging where everybody feels that they can bring them their true selves to work mm. I'm really proud of and I wouldn't I wouldn't be with the company if I didn't genuinely wake up every morning and think we're doing a good thing here mm. we're helping people get a job which is the most important thing it allows people to survive or thrive whatever they might be going through at that period of time it's a it's a there's a lot of transferable skills yeah but equally it's a I still feel you know it's, it's a place where you genuinely feel you can make a difference you might not see it all the time but when you understand the impact of work and enjoyable work yeah and, and allowing everybody to find their place doing what they want at the right time for them is is, is, a, is a good feeling because we do spend so much of our lives if we're able mm-hmm. to at work and so the thought that someone's like, well, I'm just going to do this job to pay the bills does seem very disheartening. If like, you spend so much of your time in that environment, it may, may as well have it so that it's the right environment that can help you thrive and give yourself like, that extra bit of meaning mm. and purpose to your life. Thank you for listening to Chatterbox, a podcast by the Wolfpack Project. You can find us on social media. We are chatter.boxpodcast or you can link to us from the Wolfpack Project website, which is thewolfpackproject.org.uk. We'd love to hear how the conversation has inspired you or things that you've learned. So do engage with us. Do also remember to follow or subscribe on whatever platform you download your podcast from so that you never miss a new episode. You know, if people are kind of on that job journey what would be some of your bits of advice for people who are maybe not sure what that next step is to take if we go back to that analogy that we've started with absolutely i think whether you are currently out of work and looking to return whether you're looking to change industry role company progression sideways move all of that is still a daunting piece Mm. and that doesn't matter what level you are or for what job it is, because as you rightly said, we spend a huge amount of time with our work colleagues within a working environment, more so probably believe than our home environments at times. You have to take as much care and attention to your job journey, making sure it's the right one for you, as you would picking the same, the right house mm. or the right wallpaper or the right car. You know, mm. you wouldn't just go, I'll have that one. <laughs> yeah you know, not see yourself there or, or living in it. So I think that the, the first thing for me is whatever that job might look like, find a company that, that fits with you, with yeah. your values, where you see yourself comfortable in, even if it's just for a short period of time and it's a stopgap for, for something else. Yeah. Find something that, that genuinely sits with your values um, and understand what your skills are. And I think so much uh, emphasis is put on skill being linked to seniority and that isn't the case Mm. there are a huge number of skilled jobs in this country that without them we wouldn't have food on our table yeah we wouldn't have you know basic household goods and you know we get to see the big names of you know CEOs and senior leadership teams of, their, uh, of those companies. But the people that are genuinely having an impact on everybody's day-to-day don't see. Yeah. And they're hugely important. And, you know, it's about not doing a, a disservice to certain types of roles that allow us as a country to function. Yeah. So it, it, it do what makes you happy, first and foremost. What What is it that is really important to you? And go and have the opportunity to do that. So applying for jobs, you know, 
not just here to talk about total jobs, but there's lots of yeah. opportunities to find jobs. But understand what it is right for you and what you want. Mm. There are incredible platforms around now with, with LinkedIn, with the opportunity to do video recruitment and um, little bios of yourself yeah. to really showcase those skills because it's a tough marketplace at the moment, right? Yeah. They were saying this morning on the news that employment levels are at their highest than yeah. they were before COVID. So absolutely, there's definitely been a big increase in people filling jobs. And I think people have, have what we've seen is the workforce over COVID retire earlier. Yeah. You know, we saw people go, we'll just go, just do it now. Yeah, my dad. Yes. Literally got in his retirement just before COVID hit. And he was like, the best decision I ever made. Absolutely. So we saw a lot of that. We saw a gap of people going to university or taking on apprenticeships because there weren't the ability for a period of time for us to train those people. And, Mm. you know, drivers are a prime example of that. You know, there was a real gap in the number of people becoming a HGV driver. Yeah. Incredibly important role. Yes. Right. Delivers everything to everywhere all of the time. But then we had a gap, which is why we had some of the, the, the issues around things taking longer and um, shelves not being full. Yes. Yeah. And, and um, that was down to that really important role, mm. you know, that nobody had realised it's important before because it just happened. Mm. You know, what we've what we've seen is, you know, our vacancies now that we have in the market are, are close to pre-pandemic levels. We saw a huge increase as we came out of COVID as businesses were trying to get out the blocks early, refill orders, build more houses, all of those things required lots of people coming into the workforce. So we saw a huge spike in vacancies. In our area of work is a great thing. (laughs) We are now back to a level where it's probably pre-pandemic, but the the job seeker population employment rate is really high. So people are having to re-look at how they can attract the right people into their workforce Mm. we saw a bit of an impact of brexit you know we didn't have the same number of eu nationals coming over to to fill some of those jobs that we have naturally relied on yeah you know whether that is our public services or our private services there's a there's a bit of a gap And, and one of our jobs at the moment is to highlight those people that you're not currently looking at. Huge opportunity, particularly in somewhere like the hospitality sector, to look at the 55 plus age mm. group and retail. Great workers, yeah. you know, want flexibility. Mm. Don't want the same hours every time, every day, you know. And it's about us educating employers as to what's going to be a great fit for their business, um, short and long term. Yeah. And I think as a as a job seeker, it's about making sure you're as visible as possible mm. and making sure you're really clear about what you want to achieve. Anything that you can do to highlight that, whether that be volunteer opportunities, whether that be to look at different routes in terms of apprenticeships versus normal permanent employment will give you experiences that will only add to that you know but taking that first step is is also understanding that it's hard you can apply for a lot of jobs get a lot of no's get a lot of no's get a lot of no feedback get a lot of no interviews and 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 that realize that that's okay and that's normal right now and that's not about you as an individual one of the things that we talk about the importance of is is businesses feeding back through that employment process yeah. and that candidate journey from from apply to unsuccessful or successful and we do a great job as employers about getting in front of the people that we want to see and they're not yeah 
not mm. looking after the people that we don't. Really important feedback that you give an interview should be really clear based on competencies, what will help them the next yeah. time they go for a role. And we need to do more of that. So a candidate, if they're unsuccessful, knows why. So they can work on that to become better rather than not knowing why and continuing to do the same thing and getting the yeah. same results. So there's a part for employers to play, for sure. There's a part for job seekers to listen to that. Um, but there's a part at the moment where we need to mobilise our workforce in the UK far more accessible and readily. We need to make it easier for people to get into work mm. than, we, than we currently do. And, you know, the more that we can connect the two together more frequently, the, the, the more successful we. Yeah. And... I've seen lots of stuff around people with neurodiversity have actually mm. been like, okay, so I've got this diagnosis and you may have these things that you think about it, but actually these are all of the things that it would then benefit you from rather than the downsides that people might see. So I've seen a lot recently around the rise of ADHD diagnoses yeah. and all of that and just being like, actually, this means that I'm going to give you really good periods of hyperfocus, loads mm. of creative ideas, all of this. I might just need a bit of flexibility around these things, yeah. which I think actually is then a real positive, then hopefully for people who maybe are starting on that journey and find those resources that are out there to kind of be like, okay, I might have this diagnosis of this thing. How has someone else been able to become successful or take the next step and take some of those? Okay, they've almost rephrased or we kind of imagined actually these are all the good things about this absolutely rather than oh no one's going to take me because i have dyslexia or i have dyslexia or i have whatever actually they could give real benefits to an organization and it's just looking and thinking through this is what i can really give and showcasing that yeah and i think you're right that we've recently had neurodiversity week celebration week mm. and, and at total jobs we we have a champions of accessibility network who talk about all things neurodiversity both for the for employees that we currently have within the business but also their friends and family and how that that can impact working life we've seen a real transition from i'm not going to tell my employer to actually i am because i can give more yeah. if, if i'm able to bring my true self to work um, and that's at various stages. And I think whatever your challenge also gives you a strength. Mm. And it's about realising the impact that that can have, you know, and working with partnerships and charities that can really enable you to become a far more accessible employer and see the benefits of doing so. And it not be a, hey, look what we do. It should be, look what we've done. We work with AbilityNet, who are an incredible charity who very quickly came in and said, well, we don't do this very well. Mm. We were like, oh, God. But they were they were things that would have genuinely made an impact mm. very, very quickly at very low cost. You know, this isn't about retraining a management team to understand conditions. It's about empowering people to leverage people's strengths. Yeah. By talking, you know, where do you do your most efficient work? Well, in this situation, at this time, right, so the biggest project we need to do there. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. You know, no different to you would do somebody returning to work with a broken leg yeah. and doing some sort of occupational health assessment. Yeah. Oh, you can't get into this bit of the building. All right, we'll relocate. Absolutely. Like, yeah. And and that's normal. Yeah. But but where we talk about things over here, it, it's almost like we've not become uncomfortable having the conversation. I think sometimes we're so scared of what of getting it wrong 
yeah. or saying the wrong thing, that we don't say anything at all. And that is far worse. You know, we've been really we've been really lucky and really I think made started to move the needle where we've made psychological safety a thing at work mm. where you can have a conversation and say yeah. whether it's you know you're from a minoritized background because of ethnicity or gender identification doesn't matter you know whoever you are you should feel safe coming to work you yeah. should feel that you're able to do the right job in the best possible conditions to make you uh, productive every organization committed to that society would follow suit oh yeah the world would be a much better place so we can only play a small part in that but what you can always do is look after your own living room first and how tidy that is mm. before you start trying to clean up everybody else's but it sounds like total jobs and hopefully other organizations are starting to as you say move that needle and make that and so then for people who are hopefully then coming into that can hopefully see the benefits of the work that you're doing and and all of that and take it with them So how do you find that you best connect with people and how do you build connection into your life at the moment? For me, I think everybody has a, a slightly different way of learning and connecting to people. So I'm terribly techno-challenged. Like, WhatsApp is probably as far as I'm going to go and I have Microsoft Teams at work and stuff and other. But for me, there is no better connection than a face-to-face -face conversation. Mm. I think the opportunity to read and be empathetic and understand. If you ask the question to anybody, are you okay? Yeah. You will get a very, very different perspective face-to-face -face than you will without a, a visual and verbal communication. So things as simple as, you know, I walk the dog and I see the same lady every morning, whatever time I go, she, she just I matches you. <laughs> and I say good morning. I, don't, I never said anything else other than morning, she says morning, and we smile at each other. And that is often my first connection of the day at half past six in the morning, usually. But I look forward to that. And so I think something as simple as always asking and saying hello if you see somebody is a great way to connect without having to arrange. Mm. You know, there's so much pressure to find a time in everybody's diary that you can do, that they can do, that where are we going to go? Yeah. All of a sudden it's become this massive thing and you were going <laughs> out for a cup of tea. Yeah. Whereas to be able to connect with human beings and say hello, it, I think is probably the easiest way. So if I don't speak to three different people that I don't know and say good morning, I've had a different start to the day than I would have liked. And that, I think, is a really easy way mm. to do the the most important thing to make for better, which is smile. And I remember hearing someone of like, if you just smile to one person, you never know where that smile is going to end up because that person might then feel encouraged to then smile because someone smiled at them. And then someone else is smiling because yeah. of that and it just and it just travels. And again it goes down to that sim simple thing of if you are nervous about making that step of talking to people a bit more, just practicing saying good morning to people and if you never know where that nice good morning is gonna Absolutely. is gonna get the tea. So we've kind of you you're in coaching. So is tennis still the kind of main way that you stay active, or have you built other bits of movement into your routine? I'm quite a spontaneous person at times. Tennis has been pretty. Now I still play to a fairly decent level. I'm classed as a veteran now, which doesn't make me feel that easy. But um, does that mean we'll see you back at Wimbledon when they don't have a veterans Wimbledon? But I, I've I've represented England at the Four Nations a few times. But you know, it, it's a much nicer experience. You know, you have a beer and stuff afterwards rather than you know 
ice baths. Maybe so, they should bring that to me. Uh, uh, well, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, so I still compete to a decent to a decent level, and I county and the county captain my ladies um, and under eighteen and under fourteen teams. So I'm still very much active around that competitive piece, but I also like a bit of a challenge. So about four years, five years ago, maybe four, four or five years ago, I played tennis for twenty four hours straight to raise money for Rainbow's Children's Hospice. Gosh. I thought it was a really good time, idea at the time. I was, I think I was like in the bath one night, glass of wine, I was like, what, what should I do? <laughs> I know, let's play tennis for 24 hours. And I, I did it, I survived. Well, I did. Um, <laughs> we raised about £6,000 and it was, it was the hardest thing I thought I'd ever done, but probably the most rewarding in terms did of the impact. Other people playing against yes. you? Were you playing against a machine? No, so they, uh, people had the opportunity, it was at West Bridgeford Tennis Club where I still play and people booked a slot and they came of an hour. So I had 24 different wow. people come in. We started at midday and we went through to midday the following. Easiest bit by a mile was 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. <laughs> Which is when people probably think that's the hardest. Yeah, and slot. it was it was weird, it was surreal. Everything felt right, you know, this, I was like, my body feels great and I don't do that much anymore. And so, Got to 7am, I felt horrendous. <laughs> I was like, five hours, I can't do it. I felt sick. You don't eat very well. You're in gels, but they don't sit very well because you're not eating. Got to 7am, and the best possible thing that could have happened, all of our ladies' tennis members, there must have been 35, came in their pyjamas and played tennis with me. And it was the moment I thought, I can do this. <laughs> it really uplifted me. So... So that was a crazy challenge that keeps you active for a short period of time. And then two years ago, I decided I was going to be a, I, I'll enter a charity boxing match. I was like, rang my mum, I'm going to, I'm going to do this white collar boxing. She's like, what are you doing? You're <laughs> old. <laughs> You're old. You're not very fit. I was like, I just want to do it. Because it was a short stint. Mm. It was like 12 weeks of training, then you go and have a fight. I, I, and I recommended it to other people from a discipline perspective, particularly if you are unsure about doing something or you're not as active as you used to be or you'd like to be. I'm not saying everybody needs to go and start boxing, but finding something you can sign up to for a short period of time makes mm. it okay. Yeah. You can, it's then your choice whether yeah. you go on to do it. And I lost my boxing match and I ended up with, you know, bruises and this and that, but I loved it. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. I had incredible support friends, but I went and I trained every night, and I was probably the fittest I'd been in a long, long time when I did that. But I couldn't sustain that, and I'll go and do something else now. I think sport will always play a part in my life, whatever yeah. it is. I've got too old and I've had too many injuries to do certain things. You know, I won't play football anymore, and you know, hockey and things like that. There are so many adapted sports now. Oh, so yeah. whatever age you are, you know, there's walking football, there's walking netball, there's walking tennis, there's walking rugby, there's lots of disability sports that have now become really quite accessible to all. You know, you yeah. don't need to travel two hours away to your nearest place. And that for me is a great thing. Creating opportunities for people to be as active as they want to be, whether that be a walking club that you go to, or whether that be a boxing ring where you, yeah. you go. The ability to exercise releases endorphins. Mm, it's it's not just about yeah. losing weight, feeling stronger, feeling fit. Just about being mentally healthier. Even when you feel your worst, pushing yourself to go, no, I'm going to do that. Because the long-term benefits. Absolutely. And you will always feel better. You might not immediate. <laughs> the immediate getting punched in the face might not actually feel great. <laughs> but... 
the ability to have challenged yourself and gone, yeah, Joe, I did that. I did it for me, but also to earn money for, for cancer research and to give back, you know, there's, there's great opportunities. And sometimes they were, you might not know where they are. But you can pretty much go on Facebook now, type in, mm. anybody know where I can do this? And you'll have comments coming back and yes. people welcoming you to, to uh, explore something different. So active from a will improve physical health for sure. Mm. But the benefits to mental health are without far outweigh anything else. Well, we can leapfrog to give. So obviously okay. you're doing a lot of those things to give back to charities mm. and to raise money. Have you got another challenge or a charity oh. event planned that you want to raise some money and give back to? I haven't. There was a view that we would try and play tennis at every tennis club in Nottingham in 24 hours pre-COVID. So it's about 37 tennis clubs that you can play in Nottingham. We've got a wealth of Mm, yeah. Like, you know, we'll try and map out how you would do it, you know, by only using public transport. What's the plan? <laughs> Which is great for some areas of Nottingham. <laughs> yeah. But not everywhere. With and to do it in 24 connected. hours and then work at train times. And particularly yeah. at the moment, you're thinking, right, that train's cancelled or, or yeah. you know, I can't get on that. I will definitely do something, I think. I, so I'll be 40 next year. It wouldn't be me if I didn't do something for my 40th. There are some really amazing local charities yourselves being one of them will benefit so much from exposure of people just talking about it mm. when it goes with something that's a bit quirky that people don't see a lot of all of the time there's an opportunity to amplify the voices of people that that don't speak out enough yeah. for themselves so I don't know you can bring me back next June <laughs> I'll be 40 next June and yeah I'll be in some wacky I don't know inflatable suit or something you know <laughs> traveling around yeah I get easily bored if I've not got something to to do I decided three years ago to do a degree I never went to university so I'm coming to the end of that degree and I think that took a lot of time and commitment once that's out of the way I can probably go on to my next next challenge my next challenge next challenge okay I'll get you involved yeah we'll watch the space that neatly then leads us back to learning mm. what's something new that you've learned recently I'm going to do pottery oh I was a big fan of the great pottery throwdown mm. well I am of all of those programs the woodworking <laughs> one the sewing bee the pottery because I'm really not creative in that way I'm mm. terrible at art I can't draw I have these great ideas when lockdown came on Joe Lysett did a program on tv that was like life drawing live yes. <laughs> he's, he's just got a picture in the Royal Academy as well. Yeah, one of his pictures. Right, there, mine so. definitely wouldn't be. <laughs> At one point, I was like, I'm just, I'm taking out facial features because it's really not helping my art. And I, I tweeted and the picture. they are really in. hard to do as well. I was terrible. My mum is amazing. She was a teaching assistant, so absolutely has all the arts and crafts and, and skills. But we've always said, I want to go and do some pottery. So we are going in few weeks time to a pottery place out um, on the A52 towards Grantham and that I think could be my next um, my next thing to learn I, I'm one of these people that if you are coordinated and you have good hand-eye yeah. and foot-eye coordination you can pretty much pick up any sport you might not be amazing at it but you could yeah. competently do it and I've always stuck to that mm. because I like to be the best I can be at whatever I do. So I tend to avoid things that I'm not very good at. And I don't think my pottery is going to come out. But you're going to give it a go. And learn. But I am. And I will go, I'll go again and again and again until I get better. But that is a prime example of that. That's, that's just avoidance of something that you think won't be as good as or live up to your own expectations. 
and yeah, yeah I'm, I, will, I will send a picture in what yes. you think. Um, I might sort of like this is this is my mum's. <laughs> I'm palming it off as my own. Um, so yeah, like, this is, is what it should have turned out. Like, yeah, and this is the reality. This is what in my head it was meant to look. Like. Yeah. This mm. is what yeah. did happen. So pottery is the next thing for me. It's, nice. it's completely new. I think I probably did it at school when you were a kid, and yeah. you know, you, we went to a paint pot party or something like that because I really like it. <laughs> Don't not great at it, and I normally do things that I feel. But I can, yeah, I'll avoid the things that I don't think were going to give me the best outcome. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to be comfortable with disappointment, I think is probably what I'm trying to say. I think we all need to get better <laughs> at being comfortable with the disappointments in our life. And then the final one is taking notice. So when you do notice that maybe you haven't had the nice good morning start to mm. your day or you've come out of a big stressful meeting and you're like, why have all of these people telling me I need to do this and I want to do this other thing? What is a go-to strategy that you use to kind of help you get yourself into that more neutral or more positive mindset that our listeners could maybe try? One of the things I think that I really benefited from, and, and I speak to a lot of people at work who feel like that, you know, there's always something else. We're always looking forward and we very rarely reflect back mm. and, and most of our learning is done from reflection actually yeah one of the things that that I started and and always encourage others to do so is to have the ability to store positive recognition that somebody's given you mm. so at work it's pretty easy right you get an email saying really appreciated that time thanks for your advice it's like, no, right store in a folder yeah. you know and you keep those yeah, customer saying thank you really appreciated your support with our recruitment project whatever it might be your boss you know recognizing that hard work to your a text from your best friend that said you know i was having a really tough time on on the weekend and you came around and that committee really cheered me up anything where it makes you smile that you've done a good thing keep it mm. because when you need that and when you need to reset and find your neutral again they're the things that will make the difference not looking up somebody else's instagram story about how great their life is mm. that you think is unattainable or this you know looking externally for those things to make you feel better it's about digging inside to pull that out to make you feel better and when we are in a place where that can become a bit clouded and it, it's a bit busy in our head and it's hard to pull on those things yeah something physical that you can relate to and you can read back or look back on your phone or, or however you, you choose to do it they're the things that will pull you back quicker yeah. because they are you mm. and that's who you are truly so I think taking notice of our own when we need that yeah when we need that self recognition and and that's okay there's nothing you know that's not about being arrogant it's not about going oh look how good I am it's about realizing who you are as a person so that's my that's would always be my thing to have mm. the ability to store really positive whether they be big or little yeah memories of something that when you need to draw on them they are always yeah. there and accessible and you don't need to rely on something else happening to, to get back to that we do a little jar of things that happen you know something that you you can really quickly access on the good and the bad days I think a lot of particularly women in, in the workplace suffer from this, like imposter syndrome of needing to be the perfectionist you know needing to not make mistakes you know 
everybody has that. I'm one of very few, so you know, is it right that it's me? Yeah. Like one of those things to, to really deal with that is to be able to go, yes, it is. But we need to make that easy for ourselves when they're harder to, to, to kind of pull, a, uh, pull out of ourselves because we're the, our, our own worst critics and all. Yeah. You put pictures up on your fridge, whatever your kids' paintings at school, right? And they're like, like great paintings with a couple of hands that made a dinosaur. But you look at it and it makes you smile. Yeah. And that's no different. It's yeah. having your own your own little handprint painting that you can pull out when you when you need it. I love that little image. Yeah. Maybe we all need to go away and do some handprint <laughs> art and create some dinosaurs. So Sarah, I think we have covered a lot of different ground in this podcast. For people who are maybe interested in getting a bit more involved in tennis, where can they go within Nottingham to kind of find out a bit more about what's close to them, how they can get involved? Is it the, the Tennis Association? Yeah, a couple of options. So you've got the Lawn Tennis Association website, so lta.org.uk, um, and you can put in your postcode and it'll say how to play tennis and all the clubs up in Nottingham shall come. And that'll also, if you go on to the BBC Sport website as well, it'll be the same. I said earlier we've got 37 tennis clubs in Nottingham. It's a huge number of clubs for a, for a city of our size. There probably isn't one more than five or six miles away from where you live, and that's probably even closer. Whether you've played tennis before at school, which many people would have and never picked up a racket again, or whether you've never played, it's a really amazing sport that you can play for a long, long time. Tennis is, is one of those that I mentioned I was part of the veterans. They, they do a super veterans. And, it, you know, there's over 85 world championships. You know, it, it's a sport it's a similar to golf that you can play and, and play it for a long period of time. But you need to have the ability to know and, and feel welcome to play. But whatever it is that you're interested in, tennis is just one of the many things that we have access to here. Set yourself the challenge of doing something you've never done over the summer. Mm. And, and you might be surprised with what that brings from a social aspect to you as well as a, a physical and mental health aspect and the impact that that can have. And then, as seems to be a tradition with this podcast, we always seem to finish with, what takeaway would you have this week? So if you were okay. going to order a takeout from anywhere within Nottinghamshire, yeah. where would it be? Zap on Made Marin Way is an incredible takeaway. You Thai, have to collect Thai, cuisine for Thai street food. is yeah. amazing. But I also bought an uni pizza oven. It arrived on the weekend. I've not used it, but that... So I'm going to make my own order to take away pizza this um, this week. But Zap is, we've got some incredible food places. Oh, yeah. A wealth of cuisines, really representative of society, actually, that, you know, there's some great Lebanese, Turkish, Nepalese sort of uh, places to eat in town. And most places now do, do take out. But Zap would, is my go-to sort of Thai place. But, you know, the standard Chinese comes out. I'm not going to say every week, probably every two weeks, but yeah. yeah. Or I will do the same thing every time I like. And that's okay. And they know who I am, you yeah. know. Maybe less okay. You know, but I'm everyone... like, yeah, it's for the dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> every, yeah. I think when you just know what you like, uh, yeah. then that's it's okay to just keep going back. To... <laughs> <laughs> well, so thank you so much for being on Thanks the for podcast and for sharing everything. Hopefully, for those of you listening, you'll find something that's come out of our wild and varied chat that you may be able to try in your own lives or just give you that inspiration to just maybe pick up a tennis racket or make that next step on your job journey or whatever it might be. Um, Sarah's got a great t-shirt on that says women can do anything. Uh, I think we can generalise that to people can do anything. It is finding your encouragers, keeping a note of those encouragements and then finding out what it is that is worth that effort. 
for you to get out and make that make that next step. So we'll make sure that things like the Lawn Tennis Association, all of those links are in the description for this podcast, and we'll be sharing stuff out on our social media channels, Chatterstockbox Podcast on Instagram, and we'll see you for the next episode. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to Chatterbox, a podcast by the Wolfpack Project. You can find us on social media. We are chatter.boxpodcast or you can link to us from the Wolfpack Project website, which is wolfpackproject.org.uk. We'd love to hear how the conversation has inspired you or things that you've learned. So do engage with us. Do also remember to follow or subscribe on whatever platform you download your podcast from so that you never miss a new episode.